All right, take your Bibles tonight and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. We started this message this morning. We're going to complete it tonight. We are, are looking at times when God beseeches us. And to beseech just simply means to, to ask with urgency and to, and, and to fervently to do something. Uh, to beg earnestly or or to beg desperately because of of the need that's there. Uh, when it comes to, to to God beseeching us uh, in the in the passages that that we'll read, it'll be the it'll be the author talking, meaning the person who penned the words, uh, speaking to those that he he is writing to and and making an appeal to do something because he believes that it's an urgent thing to do, something that's absolutely necessary to be done. <clears throat> but understand this, that it was God who wrote the book in the first place, and it was God who gave it by inspiration. So here's what he's really doing. He's really beseeching us. He's making an appeal to us. He's begging and pleading with us to pay attention to, to certain things. I, I look through... We were doing this in, in uh, uh, Sunday school, and we were, uh, I was finishing up the, uh, the book of Hebrews as I was studying through it, and uh, in, in Hebrews uh, 13, the, the last chapter, it talks about the fact that, that the writer was beseeching them to listen to the exhortation of doctrine. And uh, as, I, as I was looking at that, I thought, well, I wonder how many times in specific, that in the New Testament, that, uh, that God beseeches people to do something. And what I, what I found was, uh, I found more than, more than 14 beseeches, but I found that there were basically 14 categories of, of uh, things that God beseeches us to do. We looked, we looked at the first five this morning. He beseeches us to present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. He beseeches us to pray for others. And it's, that's necessary for us, but that's also necessary for the work of God to, to go forward and for others to, to receive the uh, answers to prayer. Uh, we looked at the fact that God beseeches us to mark and avoid certain people, and that's our responsibility. We're supposed to not be critical uh, not talk about it, and I made that very clear this morning, but for us personally, we ought to mark and, and avoid those who cause divisions and strife and, and so forth and that deviate from doctrine. Uh, fourth one that we looked at was uh, God's beseeching us to be unified with, as, as a church and for us to speak the same mind and be of the same heart. And then last of all, the fifth one we looked at was to, uh, God was beseeching us to, to follow those who follow Christ. Be ye followers of me, Paul said, even as I also am a follower of Christ. The sixth one that I want us to look at tonight is found in 1 Corinthians 16, verses 15 and 16. Let's all stand together, if you would. You read along silently as I read aloud in verse 15. I beseech you, brethren... You know the house of Stephanus, that it is the firstfruits of Achaia, and that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints, that ye submit yourselves unto such and to every one that helpeth with us and laboreth. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, we pray your blessings upon the word of God as it goes forth. And may we see the importance, particularly coming into this new year, of, of some things that in the New Testament that you beseech us to pay attention to. You urge us. You, you plead with us to, 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 to make note of these things that we might have a life that's pleasing and honoring the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and honestly, Lord, I believe that uh, every person really in this, in this congregation tonight uh, down in the depths of their heart, they want to please their God. If they're saved, they want to honor the, their Savior. They want to please their Savior. Help us to see the things that are on the top of your priority list 
so that we can put them on the top of our list. And as you speak to our hearts tonight, may we respond to you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Notice there is a parentheses in verse 15. So if you were to just take that parentheses and just kind of kind of push that off to the side, what Paul, what Paul said was, I beseech you, brethren, go down to verse 16, submit yourselves unto such and to everyone that helpeth with us and laboreth. He's asking, God's asking us here to, to submit ourselves to those who help and labor in the work. In other words, be able to work with others. Be able to get along with others. Uh, when someone is in charge of something, don't sit there and argue because you think you've got a better idea. Just go ahead and submit yourself to the thing and, and uh, get the job done. Appreciate, and that's what he was saying here about the, the house of Stephanus. He was saying, listen, you need to really appreciate uh, where these folks are coming from. Uh, they, they are dedicated. They have a desire. And, and you know what? There's, I realize there's times we don't agree with someone about how, how they're doing something or even their motives sometimes about, about getting the job done. But the but, uh, uh, Bible says that only by pride cometh contention. You know, I, I've, I've been here now 28 years. I've seen... <laughs> You know, I've seen people disagree and argue about different things, and, and, and really, you look back at it, and I, as I was even reflecting on this earlier, uh, it's, it's never been anything that's really important. It's always, always simple little things that, that uh, you know, that it's not necessary to, to be at loggerheads about. But the Bible says, only by pride cometh contention. If there is contention in the work, then there's pride in that thing somewhere that's involved in the contention. One of the, one of the things God brought to my mind was over in Acts chapter 15. You don't need to turn there. But Acts chapter 15, verse 39, Paul and, and Barnabas uh, are, are out on a missionary journey. And Barnabas wants to bring John Mark, who was with them before, and got homesick and decided to go, go, go back home. And now, now Barnabas is saying, bring him back on board again. Paul didn't like that. And so the Bible says that they, they disagreed on that thing. And in Acts 15, 39, it says, the contention was so sharp between them that they, they departed asunder one from the other. They couldn't even work together because they were, they were uh, intentional. And it says, it says the, the uh, contention was so sharp between them. It wasn't just from one. It wasn't just from the other. It was both of them. And again, my Bible says, only by pride, only by pride, only by pride. I don't like that verse, because there are times when I get, you know, there's contention, and I realize, well, wait a minute. There's got to be some pride there that causes me to be contentious. So there was, there was pride that was involved in, in that whole situation. This is the thing I thought was interesting, though. You know, you, you look at that, and then you just, what we just read, that this is the Apostle Paul admonishing the Corinthian church and saying, saying uh, submit yourselves unto such and to everyone that helpeth with us and laboreth. In other words, get along, will you? And I'm thinking, Paul, you stinking hypocrite. What are you doing? You know, getting on these folks and saying, I beseech you to do this. You know why I believe he said that? Because I think he learned something. I, I, you know, and I don't know how accurate all these dates are, but in my Schofield Bible, this was written in 59 A.D. But when the situation happened between him and Barnabas, that happened in 52 A.D. You think in those seven years, Paul learned some things? You think in those seven years that God taught him some things about getting along with others as they work together? And it's so important, and that's why he says, he, he says, I beseech you, brethren. And, and remember, he's talking to the Corinthian church where there was all kinds of divisions, there were all kinds of strifes. He said, listen, put that stuff aside and understand there's something more important, and that's the work that needs to be done for our Lord and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Here's another thing that, that God beseeches us. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. We're pretty much going, going through these as they show up in Scripture. Second <coughs> Corinthians chapter 2 and verses, verses 5 through 8. Second Corinthians 2, 5 says, But if any have caused grief, he hath not grieved me, but in part that I may not overcharge you all, sufficient to, to uh, such a man is the punishment which was inflicted of many, so that contrarywise you ought rather to forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. Wherefore I beseech you that she would confirm your love toward him. Uh, and what he's beseeching here, and God is beseeching us, is to confirm love to those that have fallen and have repented and gotten things right. Uh, what this is probably referring to is the man that is uh, referred to back in, in 1 Corinthians that was in immorality. And uh, basically what he told him to do was to do church discipline on this particular individual. Well, what happened between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians is that the fella got right. And he got, he got under conviction, evidently, about that thing. He got the thing right with God. And now Paul's coming and saying, listen, I beseech you, confirm your love. He did right. He responded right. He responded properly. He repented. He got the thing right in his heart. So, so don't continue the negative treatment that you had of him, he said, make sure that you confirm your love toward him. If someone does wrong and gets right, don't continue treating them like they're continuing to do wrong, and afterwards, don't constantly remind them of the wrong that they did. Take it the next step, confirm your love to them, and go on and serve God together. Uh, we, need to, we need to be admonished to encourage and to pray and to help. I mean, the, the bottom line is this. If somebody is struggling and, and they, they stumble and fall in an area in their life, uh, our, you know, our desire ought not to be to either say it verbally or even think it in their heart. See, I told you so. I knew this was going to happen. You know, that's really the mindset of a person who really doesn't love that individual that happened to. Because the truth of the matter is, is that we ought, we ought to want to see everyone serve God, and if they fall, and if they stumble, and if they have difficulties, to repent, to get that thing right, and go on and serve the Lord again. Um, Bible says, in fact, take your Bibles and turn over to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. And this is the attitude that we need to keep. And I think if we have this attitude, I think we will confirm love to the, to the fallen who've repented. Uh, 1 Corinthians, or excuse me, Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1 says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted." He's, he's saying here that when we do restore, understand something, that could be you. And there is no sin that any person in this place is above. And there's not a one. And you, know, you, you may look at something and in your heart and mind say, well, that's something that I would never do. Mm, that's not necessarily true. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's amazing what can happen in, in a negative way when that sin nature uh, has has rule and reign and control in our life rather than the Spirit of God. And we need to be meek about the whole thing and not haughty and uh, go to them in love and be, be a blessing and help and, re and restore those that have fallen. And what Paul is saying here and what God's saying to us is, I beseech you, people that have difficulties and then repent of that difficulty, confirm your love to them. Uh, be an encouragement and be a help to them. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, the eighth thing that we find is, is in verse 1, 
God's beseeching us. And he says, we then as workers together with him beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. The thing he's beseeching here is that we, we don't receive God's grace in vain. Now, what is, what is grace? Well, in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13, the Bible says this about what God does on the inside of us. He says, For it is God that worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Well, that's the grace of God working in our hearts and lives. And when the grace of God is working in our hearts and lives, there's two things he gives us. He gives us the, the will to do right, and he gives us the power to do right. And so when we, when we trust Christ as Savior, when we get saved, God gives us not only, not only saving grace, but he gives us day by day living grace so that we can live above sin and so that we can have a victorious Christian life. And, and what the Lord is saying here is he's saying, don't receive my grace in vain. Don't get saved and just go on and do anything that you want to do. But instead, uh, allow that, that desire to please God and that power that God has given us, that grace God has given us to please him, to work in our hearts and lives. The Word of God in other places says, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Can I tell you the greatest need that you have this next week? I already know what it is. You say, yeah, it's money to pay this bill, and it's answers about this, this uh, medical condition, and it's uh, problems in the home. No, 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 that's not the greatest need you have. The greatest need you have this week is to, to uh, have the fullness of the grace of God active in your life. That's the greatest need that we have. And, and uh, the Bible says, God resists the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. And so it's essential for us to stay humble before God so that there is nothing there that would prevent him from giving us that grace, giving us that power, giving us that strength, to, and giving us those resources that he has in order to, to get his work done. And, and a question, or not a question, but a, a statement that was made throughout Scripture. Uh, Peter particularly uh, said this at the end of his epistles, grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Here, here's the question for you. Are you growing in grace or... Have you stopped somewhere? Is there is there any any are there any lines in your in your life where you say, well, I'm I'm going to go this far, but I'm going to go no further. And I I can't tell you the number of people I've talked to over the years that basically have that kind of attitude toward God, whether they recognize it or not, and they grow to a level, and then they say, whoa, I'm not going any further than this. Well, God says that we, one thing, I don't care how old you are, uh, you should never stop growing in grace. I take that back. There's one time when you can stop growing in grace, either when the rapture takes place or you die. <laughs> okay? Then, 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 then you, you don't need any more growth in grace. You'll be, you'll be with the Lord and you'll see him face to face. But until then, one of the things we ought to always be doing is to be growing in grace. Over in the book of Romans, God put it this way. He said, Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. In other words, uh, you know, does grace cover all of our sin? Yes, it does, but we ought, to, we ought to be growing in grace and not in sin so that God's power can be manifest in our lives. So one of the things that that God is beseeching us to do is, is not to receive God's grace in vain. The ninth thing that, that he beseeches us about, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians 10. And we'll take a look. <clears throat> we'll take a look at the first six verses. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 1 says, Now I, Paul, myself, beseech you, by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence and base among you, but being absent and bold toward you. In other words, he said, when I'm with you, I'm, kind of, I, I'm not real 
real strong and bold, but boy, when I write these letters, I can really tell you what for. That's really what he's saying. Uh, and he, he said in verse 2, but I beseech you that I may not that I may not be bold when I am present with that confidence wherewith I think to be bold against some which think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds and casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ and having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. What he's beseeching them here is, is to, be, to win the battle in their thought life. They cast down imaginations. Imaginations are uh, lustful thoughts. They, they go anywhere from lustful thoughts to evil surmisings. Uh, any, any thoughts that, uh, that, any imaginations, any ideas that would be that would be contrary uh, to what God would have us think and to dwell on. He tells them to cast down every high thing, cast down your pride, cast down your your self love, cast down your selfishness, uh, cast down those things that would that would would hinder your service for Him. And then it says, bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. In other words. Where the whole battle is, is, is first and foremost in our minds. It's what we think about. That's, that's why over in um, Philippians chapter 4, God gives us in verse 8, gives us a list of things that we ought to think upon. And uh, it, it's important for us to, to really to, to uh, be protective of our thought life. Be careful about what you read. Be careful about what you listen to. And I, when I say listen to, I'm talking about music. I'm talking about conversations. Um, I'm talking uh, about uh, television programs. Whatever it might be, be careful. Uh, it's real. It's real easy, and I, and it's a fight that I constantly have. It, it, uh, it's real easy to let your guard down in that area. And God's telling us and making it very, very clear to us here that that's where the battle is. So that's really the thing that needs to be that needs to be watched over and protected more than anything else. We we have we have more ways of of input into the mind today than we've ever had in human history. With the with the advent of the internet and computers and so forth. Uh, I mean, you can you can pour all kinds of stuff into your mind. We we are in the uh, information age, and you know what? There's some information that I don't, just don't need to listen to. There's some stuff out there that I just don't need to I, I don't need to be in contact with. And what he's saying here is he's saying, I beseech you, listen, protect that mind and bring into to captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Why? Because thoughts breed actions. And remember who he was talking to. Again, this is, second, this is second Corinthians. They're doing a little better than they were in First Corinthians. But this is a, a carnal church. Back in, in uh, New Testament times, during th- this, this era, during this time, if someone thought that someone... Uh, who, had, who had trusted Christ as Savior was starting to get carnal and starting to get worldly. One of the terms they used to have for them is they'd say, well, that person's been Corinthianized. <laughs> I'd like to have, I'd like to have that, that name attached to your persona. You know? uh, you've been Corinthianized. What does that mean? That means they've, been car- they've become carnal. And Carnality starts in our thought life. And it is so important to guard that thought life. And that's why the Lord says, I beseech you. Go to Ephesians chapter 4. Here's another one. Tenth thing that God beseeches us about. Ephesians chapter 4. 
And look in verse 1. He says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord, and this is the Apostle Paul writing the letter, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. Now he's not talking about their, their secular job. He's not talking about their occupation. He's talking about their life for God. And he says, I beseech you to walk worthy. Oh, all right. Uh, we need to make sure that our walk is proper and our walk is, is right before God. How do we do that? And again, he doesn't first and foremost go to actions. He first and foremost goes to attitudes. Look down in verse, verses 2 and 3. It says, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. One of the things that we looked at previously was that God beseeches us to be in unity. But you can't have verse 3 if you don't first have verse 2. And verse 3 is impossible without verse 2. And there's four attitudes that he talks about. He says, listen, you need to have lowliness. In other words, don't think much of yourself. Think more of others than you do yourself. Secondly, have meekness. And meekness is just simply giving, giving up your, your personal rights. Sometimes you know what that is? Sometimes it's just giving up your right to be right. You know, there are some conversations that don't, just don't need to continue on. You get, you get too, and, and I've done it. I've not only seen it, I've been a part of it. You get two Christians that are at loggerheads, and one says one thing, and then the other one counters, and the other one counters, and the other one counters, and the, the, the uh, anxiety and the tension be, begin to go up a little bit. And if you've been saved for very long, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know, there comes a point where you just say, forget it. It's not worth it. I don't need to continue this conversation. You know, maybe you're right. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm all wet. Yeah, but I want to say that, preacher, because I know I'm right. Listen, you need to be meek. There's, there's thing, honestly, there's things that we, that we argue about, we go run around about, that are so foolish. We look, we're going to look back at it 100 years from now and say, why did I, was I even concerned about that thing. I'm not talking about, about things that are, that are important of great, of great uh, value, but uh, there, there are times when we just need to step back and be meek. And then, then the, the third thing, not only lowliness and meekness, but long-suffering. You know what long-suffering, and, and, and I love this because I think the third one and the fourth one kind of go hand in hand. Long-suffering means to be patient, but it means to be patient when it's Irritating. It may be, may, may be uh, something that is severely painful, or it may be something that just, just bothers you day after day after day. And God says, be long-suffering. It's a, it's a special kind of patience. And then the last one is forbearing one another in love. You know what forbearing really is? Just putting up with each other. Putting up with each other. And he, and he says here, he says, in order to walk worthy, you've got to have loneliness, meekness, long-suffering, and forbearance. Well, yes, um, we're getting ready to participate in the Lord's Supper together. If I were to take those four things and uh, ask somebody who knows you real well, say, listen, uh, you see these four qualities, loneliness, meekness, long-suffering, and forbearance? Uh, just, and then point to you and say, does this individual uh, have those, and are they predominant in their life? I wonder what they'd say. You know what I think? I think you know what they'd say. And I think you know if you're strong in an area, you know you're strong. And if you're weak in an area, you know you're weak. Well, we ought to have a, a desire. And this is why he says, I beseech you. We ought, to have a, we ought to have a desire to walk in a way that's worthy of the Lord, that walk in a way that is, is a, a good advertisement for Jesus Christ in our lives. And, and the only way we can do that is if we have the attitudes of loneliness, meekness, long-suffering, and forbearance.
Another thing that he asked us to, to be beseeched about, go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. First Thessalonians 4, look at the first seven verses. It says, Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. For ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles, which know not God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified, for God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness." He's, he's, he's beseeching us here to be holy and not to be unclean. Now, when he says to be holy, it's obvious you're not going to be sinless, but you ought to be clean before God. And one of the purposes of the Lord's Supper is a time of inspection. And we ought to look at ourselves and say, uh, is there anything in my life that I've not taken care of that I need to? And God was telling the uh, church at Corinth, again, go back to Corinth, that uh, many were sick, were weak and sickly among them, and many slept. That means God killed them. I mean, that's how serious the Lord's Supper is, because they did not inspect themselves. They didn't take the, the whole thing seriously. And uh, they, they did not use the Lord's Supper as, a, as an opportunity and as a time of, in, of inspection. God says that he wants us to be morally pure in thought and in deed. God tells us that he wants, to, wants us to be separate from the world and be different from the world. You know, God calls us a peculiar people. That doesn't mean weirdos, okay? That means that, that, means that we, we, ought to be, we ought to be different. And by the way, um, you know, I, I've, I've, been, I've been around now for, what, 60, 68 years. And uh, uh, listen, things are not getting better. Uh, sin is abounding more today in, in 2020 than it be, did back in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s. Well, to think that that isn't going to affect you, you're a fool. I mean, really. Because it'll bombard you. It's everywhere. And that's why it's so important for us to, to, to make sure that we stay clean, that we make, make sure we stay pure, make sure we stay holy before God. And where, when you fall and when you slip, get that thing taken care of, repent of it, and turn from it immediately. And he also talks about here about defrauding others, and that's just simply cheating others out of what they should have. Don't be like the lost. You know, one of the things that, that I'm, I'm seeing, and it's becoming a way of life in America, uh, people will lie and not even bat an eye when they do it. And, uh, you know, I, I, I've, I've watched business transactions where the, the guy is making a business transaction. He, know, he knows he's selling somebody, a, you know, a piece of junk or whatever, or a bad house or whatever it might be, and lie through their teeth. And what they're doing is they're defrauding the, the person that they're dealing with. Don't be known as that kind of a person. You know, as a, as a, as a Christian, I think one of the thing, things that is so important that we be known as is, is a person of our word. <laughs> you know, our yea ought to be yea and our nay ought to be nay. And uh, God's telling us here, he's beseeching us to be holy not to be unclean. Don't cheat others out of that which, which they deserve to have. Don't, don't be like the lost. Be separate and be, be sanctified. 
And one of the reasons why, obviously, that kind of stuff's going to hurt you as, as, as well as your testimony, but people need to see that there's a difference in us. If there is no difference, why should they get saved? Just that simple. If there is no difference. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, um, I've talked to, to many of, our, of, our, of, of you folks uh, that work out in the workforce. And uh, somebody will, you know, you'll, be, you'll witness to somebody and they'll say, oh, yeah, I did that. I, I, yeah, I'm saved. And they've told me, man, yeah, I, I don't think they are. You know, it, it, maybe they are saved, but they are. They're, they're just as filthy as the rest of the world. Well, that is a horrible testimony. The, the world needs to see a difference, and they need to see a difference in us. And that's, we'll see that difference if we stay clean and, uh, and stay, stay separated and sanctified and holy. And God's saying, I beseech you to be different, be apart from that world. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 9 through 10. 9 and 10 says, But as touching brotherly love, you need, that, need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And indeed, we do it toward all the brethren which are in Macedonia, but we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more. What he's, what he's talking about here is, is increasing in brotherly love, increasing in love one toward another as Christians. We need to be continually growing in our love toward others. Uh, and there's a reason for this. Uh, the, the Lord Jesus, when he was on this earth and he was talking to his disciples, he said this, he said, By this shall all men know, all men, everyone who comes in contact with you, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another, John 13, 35. The, the distinctive mark of the believer is that we love each other. We love each other. Back years ago, and I've told this story before, but I think it's been a while, Joel and I made a follow-up call on someone who had visited our church. And uh, they had come from another church in town that preaches the, the, that preaches the gospel, did at that time anyway. And, um, and they, were, they were looking for another church. This, the church that they had come from was in between pastors and, and so forth. So we went, we, we talked with them a little bit, bit, found out that they were saved and so forth. One of the things that, that they said, first of all, we, you know, I, I tried to talk them out of coming our way, and, and I think I did. I think they stayed right where they were, and they ended up supporting the next pastor that came in and be a blessing and be a help to them, and I was, I was thrilled with that. Um, in fact, he even said, well, I kind of figured that that's what you're going to do because you've got a reputation. Well, I'm glad that's the reputation, at least at that time, that I had. Uh, but the, there's another thing that he said. They said, you know, Pastor, your church has a reputation. I'm thinking, uh-oh, here it comes. <laughs> you know, I, I'd, I'd just be honest with you. You know, that's what you think. And, uh, and, and they said, yeah, your church has a reputation. I said, really, what's our reputation? He says, yeah, you folks love one another. Well, can I tell you something? That's what they said back mm, probably over 20 years ago. People still see that today. They need to. And can I tell you something? Just because we, we had that testimony back 20 years ago doesn't mean we have it today. And that's why, that's why uh, the Lord says, I beseech you. It's a distinctive mark. Uh, go, go with me to 2nd, 2 John chapter 1 and look at these two verses that deal with it. 2 John 1. In 2 John, verses 5 and 6, it says, And now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk after his commandments. This is the commandment, that as ye have heard from the beginning, ye should walk in it. 
I, I never really saw this before uh, until, really, until this weekend. Do you know, uh, you go over to the book of John, and in the book of John, oftentimes the, the Lord talks about the fact, if you love me, keep my commandments. And that, that uh, basically you know whether or not someone really loves God by how, whether or not they keep his commandments. And he's talking about keeping the commandments here, but notice the context. He says, And now I beseech thee, lady, not, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we had from the beginning, that we love one another, and this is love. Now he's talking about the loving of one another, that we walk after his commandments. Not only does walking after his commandments show people that we love God, but it also shows whether or not we love one another. Our obedience to God shows our love to and for others. Our disobedience shows our lack of love for others. And God says, listen, I want you to have that, that brotherly love for one another, and that, that love ought to be increasing on a regular basis. And I beseech you to allow that love to increase. Thirteenth thing that he beseeches us about, First Thessalonians chapter 5. First Thessalonians chapter 5. And as often uh, the Apostle Paul, when he wrote letters, he, he would write general truths and practical stuff uh, in, the, in the beginning, and then at the very end he kind of gives some scattershot commands. And in second, or 1 Thessalonians chapter, chapter 5 and verse 12, he says this. He says, and we beseech you, brethren. He's saying, I'm, we're begging you, we're pleading with you. To know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. He doesn't just tell them to submit. He doesn't just tell them to obey. In this particular one, he says, what I'm beseeching you and I'm pleading you to do is to know your spiritual authorities. Uh, We have a a responsibility to know the hearts of those that have responsibilities here at church. Uh, you You ought to know if you're in the choir, you ought to know the heart of your choir director. If uh, your child is in our Sunday school, you ought to know something about the heart of their Sunday school teacher. Uh, if you're a member of this church, you ought to know something about the, the heart of each of our deacons. You ought to know them. You ought to know who they Why is that so important? So that when they make decisions, you understand where they're coming from. That's our responsibility, is to know people. And uh, uh, verses, verses 12 and 13, uh, verse 12, of course, we just read, and we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and, verse 13, to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. He says, listen, you need to know them. You need to esteem them highly in love, because of not because of who they are, not because of their personality, but for their work's sake. And then he said, be at peace with them. You know, how often do we have the, the wrong impression of someone because we really don't know them? And we need to, we need to know those that, that we work with and that we work among here at our church. And God says, I beseech you, know your spiritual authorities. One last one, and I'm done. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians 2 and verses 1 and 2. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter, as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. You know what he's saying here? He's just saying, remember something, would you? Remember that Jesus is coming again. One of the things that I do every, every single year 
when a brand new year starts, I look back and say, well, Lord, and I did it this year, Lord, you didn't come in 2019, but Lord, you come in 2020. And we ought to be looking for that. We ought to be looking for that, that blessed hope. Uh, what we'll have a tendency to do is to let things that are going on around us take the focal point uh, and, and focus on the troubles and the difficulties. You know, don't let, don't let events, don't let, don't let things that are going on in our country shake you. Yes, it should bother you. You know, this vaccination thing, it's bothering me. I, I don't like it. But, but I'm not going to focus on that. Now, I'm going to pay attention to it when it's necessary to pay attention. But that's not going to be the focus of my life. You know, we need to be really, really careful. Honestly, we, and sometimes I wonder, right here within the walls of our church, what do we talk more about when we, when we start having conversations? Do we talk more about, about a Jesus, or do we talk about who won the game this afternoon? Do we talk about Jesus, or do we talk about how our, our, our country is in a mess. And it is in a mess. Okay? But let me tell you something. Jesus is coming again, and he's going to straighten it all out for us. <laughs> you know? I, yeah, there's going to be a seven-year tribulation, and then he'll set up his millennial kingdom, and it'll all be, be set up. It'll all be taken care of. But, but understand this. We're not to focus on the garbage that's going on out there. We're to focus on the fact that Jesus is coming again, and we should never forget that. I think there was, a, there was a time when we probably, probably spent more time thinking about Christ coming back in the 70s than any time that I can remember since I've been saved. Uh, that, was, that was a time when we thought, you know, that should not be. We should be thinking about, listen, we're closer now than we ever were in the 70s. We never thought we'd see, we never thought we'd, we'd go past 2000. Hey, really, that's the truth. Uh, <laughs> I, I hear this story over and over again when, when uh, some folks that are no longer here, but years ago when they were building this building, they said, well, don't worry about, you know, whatever, whatever it might be. Don't worry about that. Jesus is coming before 2000. We don't have to worry about it. Well, guess what? <laughs> he, he didn't show up, but he's going to come. And that's what we ought to be, be looking at. Don't, don't let the, effect, the events or politics or New York State government you know, you say, people say, do you, do, you, do you like New York State? I love New York State. I do. I was brought up here. I'm a New Yorker through and through. I, I love the state. Can't stand the government, but I love the state, okay? Um, but you know what? You can, you can get so focused on that stuff that it, it shapes your attitude. It shapes your goals. It, don't let that stuff soon shake you. Titus chapter 2, verses 13 and 14 says this, Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us and that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. I'm not to look for the Antichrist, I'm not to, to, to look for the United uh, World Government. I'm to look for Jesus to come again. And, and uh, the Apostle Paul said, I beseech you. God is saying to us, I beseech you, remember that Jesus is coming again. These are some things that we, we need to, we need to uh, pay attention to. Uh, the things we looked at tonight was God sub uh, beseeching us to submit to those who help and labor in the work. God is beseeching us to uh, confirm our love to those that have fallen and, and those who have repented and, and uh, uh, to, to strengthen them. He is beseeching us to uh, not receive the grace of God in vain, you know, this is 2020. Are you growing in grace? Uh, is grace more evident in your life today than it was a year ago? 
uh, we're to, you know, God's beseeching us to win the battle, and the battle is in the mind, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of Christ. He's beseeching us to walk worthy. He's beseeching us to be holy, not be unclean, to have brotherly love one to another, to know your spiritual authorities, and to remember and never forget that Jesus is coming again. Why does he say, I beseech you? Because these things are priorities. These are things that we must and need to pay attention to. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, we pray that you help us to take seriously the things that we've heard tonight and to realize that when the scriptures say, I beseech you, it's our God speaking personally to us and pleading with us, Lord, you're pleading with us to pay attention to these things because first and foremost, they're important to you. And if they're important to you, they ought to be important to us. We can find ourselves getting wrapped up in oftentimes stuff that really 100 years from now isn't going to matter. But each one of these things that we looked at tonight will make a difference and will matter. So God, help us. If there's an area where we're weak or maybe we're just flat in rebellion of, Lord, bring it to our attention. Help us to have a desire tonight to get it right between us and you. Lord, please bless this invitation. Have, have your will, have your way in hearts and lives. And as we prepare for the Lord's Supper, as we prepare to partake of the bread and partake of the, of the juice together, we pray, Lord, that you'd uh, help us to inspect our own hearts. And uh, may, we, may we say to you, Lord, search my heart and see if there be any wicked way in me. See if there be any rebellion. See if there be anything in there that I need to take care of. And as you beseech us to be circumspect, help us, Lord, take care of those things tonight. And we'll be careful to thank you and praise you and give you glory and honor through our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand together. Let's do so. With heads bowed, eyes closed, I'm going to ask no music, uh, nothing, no instruments played.